to the Onyx Pathcast. I am your host, Matthew Dawkins, and I am joined, as ever, by my co-hosts, Dixie Cochran. Hi. And Eddie Webb. Hello. Hello and hi. Welcome, everybody, to another enthralling, exciting, and hopefully vivacious episode of the Onyx Pathcast. You're making it sound a little salacious, right? Ooh, salacious crumb, a minor character in Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I'm always mad whenever I hear somebody talk about him on like a podcast, and they're like, you know, the little monkey guy, and I'm like, he has a name. (laughs) And his name is Salacious Crumb, and I don't know why you don't know that. Is Is Salacious Crumb Erasure? It is Salacious Crumb Erasure. I try to discover. Um, I wonder. What... <laughs> oh, it took me a second. Um, it was it was an erasure song. Yeah. Oh, it that was, was it. yeah. That was a little respect. <laughs> yes. That you give me no. That you give me no. That you give me no. That you. That was that was later. Tijuana Wanga. <laughs> I, I can't remember of it. I don't think it's. Is it Bib Fortuna or Salacious Crumb that says Tijuana Wanga? I, you it's know, I, it is. Yeah, Tijuana Wanga. <laughs> Salacious Crumb just laughs. If I <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's been a very long time since I've seen the original trilogy or indeed any Star Wars. He's movie. a Kowakian monkey lizard. Ooh. I uh, you've got to you've got to be grateful to those Kevin <laughs> Anderson compilations like Tales from the Moss Eisley Cantina and Jabba's Palace for coming up with all this shite uh, that has been <laughs> embedded into the Star Wars expanded universe and subsequently become canon. In According some to cases. Wikipedia, his name is Salacious B. Crumb. His of course, name. he has of a course. middle name. That's amazing. But I don't know what it is. No, I think I, I think his it. middle name is in fact just Blurby. That's yeah. amazing. Could be like Homer J. Simpson, right? Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> this is so great. We're not here to talk <laughs> about Star Wars, although if we did, I think it would be a first. I don't believe we've ever really discussed Star Wars at length. Maybe uh, if we ever do a movie commentary again, we'll have to do a Star Wars film. No. So, wait, wait a minute, though. I have I have a, a piece of trivia about Salacious Crumb that I need to talk Ooh, about. Okay, Is it Salacious? Um, it's, it's it's actually pretty funny. Uh, so apparently, so Phil Tippett was, one of the, was a puppeteer who mm-hmm. created the name. Uh, George Lucas give, gave him the task of naming it. While trying to decide on it, they went out to lunch. They had a few pitchers of beer. And apparently, as Tippett walked out to bend his, to, to tie his shoes, he said, wait a minute, guys, will I tie my Salacious? <laughs> and everybody was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> so they were going to call it Salacious. And then they changed mm. it to Salacious and added the word crumb uh, as an homage to Robert Crumb. Oh, wow. Nice. So now everybody on the Pathcast knows more about the Kowaki and Monkey Lizard Salacious B. Crumb than they ever thought they would know. And probably I guarantee. more than most Star Wars podcasts apparently do. <laughs> well, I, I doubt that. But I, I have a strong suspicion that at least a couple of our listeners probably already knew. I think the Venn diagrams of Star Wars fans and role players, there, there must be some overlap. No, no, there's none. There certainly has never been no. a Star Wars role-playing game. No, not a successful one, certainly. Actually, speaking of that with um, uh, Expanding Universe, I, something I learned relatively recently was mm-hmm. that um, the original Star Wars role-playing game put up at West End Games, um, like a lot of licensed games that I think we've all worked on, invented a bunch of things just to kind of fill in gaps that mm-hmm. yeah. role-playing games need to have. Um, apparently, they never asked permission from Lucasfilms to do that. Oh. And later on, uh, when writers would refer back to the role-playing game, they just assumed that Lucasfilms approved all of that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So there's stuff in the Star Wars canon today that came from some RPG writer in the 80s going, well, crap, I need to fill word count. <laughs> That's amazing. I think I think my favorite thing that they're bringing back from Mandalorian is the Camtono, which is the ice cream maker that the guy is carrying oh, in nice. like in the movies. Yeah, but now it's like a canon thing. It's a it's a specialized container for carrying things, and it's called a Camtono. That's amazing. Um, and I think yeah, there's there's one in Mandalorian, and I I love it when shit like that becomes canon. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. When you make a Star Wars game without Lucasfilm. You better at the expanded universe. What West are you? End games. Oh my was... god! That was West End. <laughs> oh god. We're having a musical Hot episode today. Yeah, We're yeah. Having like a an, an 80s new Late wave 80s, early 90s. Yeah, well. Which is, which is my music. That's like, that's like what I, I like to it. listen to. I uh, but here we are never being boring. We are always here to uh, talk about role-playing games. And uh, now that we've got all of this trivial banter out of the way, let's talk about some more serious subject matters, namely our games, where fun is only a three-letter <laughs> word. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we actually have a topic on today's episode which we may or may not adhere to. Uh, as the host, I think it was my duty to think of how I could actually roll this out uh, to make the episode interesting, and I've got to be totally honest. Totally done. Totally I, I've, done. I've thought about this for days and nights. <laughs> I've been leaning over my desk with my quill and ink <laughs> scratching away. I sent my parchment off to a monk to get illuminated. It never came back. I think he was using UPS, which are still holding a parcel that I dispatched via London in April internationally. What? They are still holding it, and I can't file a claim because you can only file a claim with UPS if they have not scanned the barcode on the parcel in the last three days, huh. and they scan the barcode every three days <laughs> to remind me that it is still in London, they will not send it back. They will. There is no way you cannot communicate with the London hub of UPS. I just imagine just one guy in London going, fuck Matthew Dawkins. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think it's a V20 fan. Uh, and, you know, I'm a V20 fan as well, but you need to get off this kind of uh, edition fanaticism. It's it's not doing you any favors, and it's holding up my fucking package. <laughs> but <laughs> all that said, and notwithstanding, uh, story hooks is our subject matter. And we were just going to throw around the the old pigskin of story hooks, trying to uh, essentially test each other a little to come up with some interesting story ideas so that you could run campaigns using our various games. Now that um, and one shots as well, of course. Now that's all well and good, but without preparation, it means that we could come up with any old game, throw it to I don't know Eddie, and say I want you to come up with a story, and Eddie will have no idea whatsoever because. As we know, we as hosts severely lack in improvisational ability. Therefore, I was thinking... I and argue that like, you, our entire podcast is improvisational. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, I was thinking, to give this exercise some structure, mm -hmm. that we implement some building blocks... Whenever we ask for a story hook, we ask for a story hook that involves X and Y, much like we did with our creator game. So, mm -hmm. for instance, if I were to say to Eddie... Do you have a generator up? 
I do not have a generator. I'm <laughs> I'm relying on us having a modicum of imagination between the three of us. Well, that's um, a mistake. It is. Generator up. <laughs> <laughs> I, for instance, I could say to Eddie, and this is an easy one for Eddie. I could say to him, Eddie, I want to evolve. I want to have a squeaks in the deep story hook that mm-hmm. involves a storm and a tower. Go. Okay. And Eddie would then hopefully come up with some fantastic story idea that could lead to many sessions of fun interplay between tabletop role players enjoying Squeeze in the Deep. Um, but I don't know. What do the co-hosts think? Do you think just having two is a good idea, or do you think there should be one of of an emotion and a protagonist or an event, a crisis? What What are you thinking? I think that we should do this a little bit. We should also talk a little bit about how to structure a story hook for your table what uh you don't think we should talk about that yes like like how I to guess. how to work with people's characters and stuff make sure everything fits together go for I don't it know. <laughs> i don't run games you're asking the exact wrong person um all i know is that i feel like it is important to have some sense of story and characters people want to play as you're making your story Mm -hmm. Uh, because you're not going to make the same story for a group of mostly like intellect based characters as you are for a group of mostly fighting based characters Um, if your people want to play intrigue in the city and then you're like okay you're out in the middle of nowhere fighting monsters they're going to be disappointed yeah Uh, so I always think it is important that either you as the storyteller or GM or what what have you lay out the story you want to tell and your players can build to that. Or you look at what your players want to play and then you build the story Um, because you really do do need to like jive together on some level. And that's something that I see happen sometimes with newer uh, DMs and storytellers and GMs is let's just, just like they will, you know, try to run their story to the detriment of the characters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, be- and I understand that because like I get very um I get a lot of like stage fright when I try to run games essentially, a lot of anxiety. And I have have only ever really run like pre-written adventures and I'm always terrified they're going to go off script. <laughs> and I'm going to be like what do I do? What do I do? I don't know how to wrap this up. Um even though I can I I have read the storytelling advice in every single book of ours that I've edited. You know, I am, I am familiar with how to fix this, but in the moment, my brain is just like, nope, 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 nope. Um, so making sure that your story isn't too rigid is really helpful to you. And that's, now, that's just like a little advice I wanted to give out to people. No, oh. it's, I think it's excellent advice. And it's, uh, it's interesting because it does throw up one of the challenges that we have as writers, uh, of uh, pre-written stories, mm-hmm. chronicles. I know you wrote one, uh, for instance, for They Came From Beyond the Grave, mm-hmm. Dixie. And uh, Eddie, you have no doubt written many a pre-written scenario. Eddie's never written a scenario. What no, you not not about? a one. I truly don't have strong opinions about that. What, what, <laughs> what was your last? What was the last scenario you wrote, Eddie? Um, that I can talk about? Yes. Um, yes. Well, no. <laughs> no, talk about the one that's under NDA. Talk about that one, Eddie. Oh, cool. In that case, I th- I've worked on bloop, and then we have bloop, and bloop, and then there was a bloop. <laughs> Time to insert some farty horns. Right. Yes. Um, no, I did um, write an adventure for um, a superhero role-playing game relatively recently, um, which is actually kind of an interesting moment. I, I did it for a relatively new game uh, for a Kickstarter. It's like, hey, if you stretch goal, we'll do a 
GM screen adventure. And it's like, well, cool, great. Um, but then like within a couple of months, uh, Steve Kenson reached out to me because I had written an adventure for icons like 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he was updating it for the new edition. Um, and he was like, you know, just want to let you know that we had done this and take a look at me. He had any concerns, which he didn't have to do at all. It was totally a gentlemanly act on his part. Uh, but he mentioned that like, it's one of the adventures that apparently the icons community still really likes called jailbreak. Um, and I was like, oh, that's really cool to hear. Um, so it looks like, you know, my ideas and adventures apparently have, have were, were pretty good even back then. So that's nice. Yeah. We, um, what I was uh, what I was going to say was that as as writers of adventures of scenarios stories and whatnot, uh, one of the frequent criticisms we often get from licensors uh, is that uh, where where is the personal investment in this story? And right. it's perfectly valid criticism. It's a that's it's perfectly good to say I want more hooks for mm-hmm. players to actually latch onto this story, um, because mo- most pre-written scenarios, onyx path or not, are what one could describe as as mission based. Uh, you mm-hmm. are given your quest, your mission, your objective at the start, and by the end, you are expected to have completed it. Mm-hmm. And they are going to be somewhat generic in tone or flavor because they have to apply to any number of shaped and oddly shaped groups. Right. Uh, but this has the counter effect of not necessarily being appealing to the crowd who you want to play this, because they think, oh, this is a bit of a bland A to B mission. Or uh, they will think, well, this is good, but I've got no way of hooking my players' characters on something like this. So... It's a challenge we often come up against. Uh, From a design perspective, one of the uh, things that we now spend a lot of time doing with our pre-written scenarios, uh, speaking for a lot of the books I've been on, is we always add a section into a pre-written story that gives examples of why your characters may be invested in this plot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to use a beyond the grave example, uh, it may be, yo, your characters are on a trip through the countryside when they break down here, or they... um, Hey, that was mine! (laughs) Yes, I know! You may may be researching your ancestry. Uh, You have an ancestor that lived in this weird and peculiar village in the middle of nowhere. Um, And these can be really simple, but at the same time, sometimes writers will spend a, a lot of time building in that prologue. And we've got that in some of our vampire stories, that vampire sometimes feels like it really needs it, but it then means the rest of the story ends up quite anemic because you've spent so long building the hooks that you've kind of lost sight of what can follow. Um yeah, I was gonna say I I think for uh, Grave specifically, it was really fun um, because I, you you can do a really tropey reason since it's supposed to be a horror movie, yeah. right? So the really tropey reason is literally you, you broke down. Also, wasn't yeah yeah yeah. So like it's like, it's like okay, so you broke down. So that now you're in a small town and there's weird shit happening, right? Right. Um, but I did put reasons in there, which I think I, I think it's a thing that Matthew asked for as to why each of the archetypes might be together. Yeah. And that was interesting. Was was to be like, oh well, this this person, you know, is driving because of this, and this is their friend. Like they could all just be friends, 
or one could be a hitchhiker because it's the 70s and that was more common you know like one could be this one could be that so yeah and what's what's interesting because we've been talking about hooking characters and and it's interesting that we're going this route because that's not exactly what story hooks themselves actually are it's true um when we talk about story hooks from a, a design perspective and he's kind of designing quotes here um we're really talking about here's an idea that hooks the reader to build a story from mm-hmm. um so uh, uh the, but they're both important components right like so if we're going to pitch story hooks for for these various games the idea is here's a cool interesting potential bit of background or setting or character interaction that you can then build the story around and so that's the the game master hook Mm-hmm. And then from there, once you build, once you had that that game master hook, then the game master has to then hook their players in as well. So there's a two stage right. process that's actually happening here. Well, I'm going to do what is in the wrestling industry called calling an audible. I'm going to okay. call an audible here. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I, I know what it means, but I don't know what call an audible means. Surely, if you're calling, you're being audible. But nevertheless, I'm calling an audible. I think this is a more interesting topic. Adventure design. Yeah, um, and actually how to hook characters and players in. And I think, uh, at least for now, based on the current conversation we're having, I would still like to revisit the uh, brainstorming story hooks idea at yeah. some point. But right now, I think we have we are in opening a door to some interesting discussion on how to get people invested in games. May I give so, you a fact? Please do. Calling an Audible is from American Football to change the play at the line of scrimmage by yelling out a new one. Oh. Okay. Um, so it means to change that. plans at the last minute based on newly revealed information, essentially. Would that not just be calling? Well, you can call a Calling play. audible play change as opposed to like a plans. Like right. Oh, plans okay. Stuff. Yeah. So I still, I'm still not sure I like the word audible in that phrase. Uh, it would be, for, for my money, something more like I... Uh, I don't know. I can't think of a word now. No, but, but so you, clearly you calling just... an audible is the best word because I can't think <laughs> of an alternative. So you keep doing that, NFL. Calling it well, a presto change. <laughs> it, it, it bugs me in the sense of it is a part of the trend of turning verbs into nouns and vice versa that occasionally grates on me. Um, but I've just kind of tried to accept it. Because hmm. it's, it's, it's the calling audibly it probably evolved into calling it an audible. Yeah, um, I can see that kind of linguistic drift happening, or like it came from announcers or something, being like, "Oh, he just called an audible play," as opposed right. to this, and they just dropped the last of it. Yeah, in wrestling, it tends to be used when they need to abruptly change the finish to a match, or if someone has got injured and they need to suddenly redirect the story or something. Right. You know, yeah. something is happening in the middle of the match that wasn't planned. So someone exactly. from someone from the back calls an audible. It reaches the ring, and hopefully everything works out for the best. So, yeah. Now, anyway, uh, that's <laughs> we're not talking about NFL or wrestling. Uh, and you know what? I don't think we've ever mentioned NFL. So we've got Star Wars and NFL. In Have we thing. not? Uh, unbelievably, John Madden has never been uh, one of our topics of conversation. Well, no. Like, I... I, I, I... Watch football sometimes, and I'm a, I'm an active Seahawks fan, so I'm just surprised I've never mentioned it. I no. I will say that I thought we talked about the Madden 
video game franchise at one point, but I may be misremembering that. I don't know. For for audience understanding, um, we usually talk before we record, and those talks are usually <laughs> about an hour long. Um, that's, that, that, that's actually part of the problem, is I can never remember what we said on the podcast versus <laughs> what we said in the hour before we started recording the podcast. And there have been plenty of times after those conversations, we're like, oh shit, we should be recording this. <laughs> yeah, we just had like an hour-long conversation about what comedians we like right, right. R- right before this one. Um, and like why we like them. I uh, don't. I don't remember how we got on that topic, but we did, and it was great. It was really what, fun. What I particularly enjoyed about this to be a bit of a love in right now is Aww. that we discussed comedians, and none of us, even though we didn't necessarily don't necessarily like each other's comedy as much as each other, we didn't trash each other's tastes. No, and that no. is, but that is so common, isn't it? And it's obviously That's common true. in our industry as well. Um, uh, you often see it with older games if someone says something like and i'm not picking on rifts or gurps but i'm using them as examples someone might say oh i love gurps there will always be someone at the table that goes (laughs) gurps because it's generic yep that's in the title Uh, and i always find i know a lot of people these days say i don't don't yuck my yum i really don't like that phrase um but i just said it but that's the that's the (laughs) that's the point i you can not like something and you're and and it's perfectly fine to let someone else like it I, I do that a lot, actually, in, in the Discord, especially in the Onyx Path Discord, where somebody will come in a channel and be like, I don't like this game second edition, I don't like this change, and, I'm, or, and like they won't contribute anything positive to the conversation or mm. any actual criticism, they're just bitching. And usually I, I just come in with a slightly snarky, like, you can mute this channel. Yeah. Like, you don't you don't have to talk about it if you don't like it. I, I am not making you talk about it, I'm not making you read it, I'm not making you run it. Um, I don't know why... You want to come in here and just be negative, right. but that's not what we're here for. Well, and like, that's, I don't, I don't like that either. Cause that, that also ties into something else that I hate, which is the concept of guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. Like as long as you're not harming anybody <laughs> um, or yourself, <laughs> there, there shouldn't be a guilty pleasure. Like there is no such thing as, as, as guilty pleasures. Like, okay. You like pop music. So like right. <laughs> it's, it's 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 popular for a reason yeah it's just pleasure um no, it's not guilty it's just pleasure yeah like i i like uh certain reality tv shows i watch them when i play video games and stuff because i can kind of half watch them and half listen to them it's not a guilty pleasure i genuinely enjoy them like <laughs> and i think this is a good thing to tap into when you're trying to uh hook characters into your game because um well done Eddie. Of- Um, I have always argued that a character creation is ultimately a vote for what you want to see at the table. Yeah. Yep. If Dixie makes a hacker character, I better have computer shenanigans in my game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be really weird if you didn't. If you're just like, okay, hacker, uh, here's a gun. Right. And here's a cornfield. Right. Enjoy your life. And I'm like, I didn't take aim. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, I mean, like, if, if. um, you have a storyhook idea. Yeah, I want to do this cool character. Um, like, like Matthew said earlier, it's like either, or I think it was Dixie actually said, um, either the guy just to come in and say, here's my game, here are the parameters, make characters that fit that parameter. Mm-hmm. Or the guy says, make characters, and then you try to build a story around what the characters want. One of those two has to happen. Yeah. Um, 
Because if you just say, make whatever you want to, and then the game master makes whatever they want to isolation, there's going to be people who have nothing to do. Right. Like, there's um, there, there, there were a lot of people when we were first uh, kickstarting Essence that were like, oh, I don't want to have, you know, abyssals in my solar game. Okay. Don't, don't have them. Yeah. Like, just don't don't let people play them. I remember I had a DM back when I was playing a lot of D&D, like, 3.5, um, back in my early 20s, who would always give us parameters for the game he was making. Um, so there was one game where we all had to play dwarves because it was about our family mm-hmm. and like our ancestral lands. And he wanted us all to be bought into that and also related. So we had a game like that. And in most games I've played, and a lot of games, uh, the, the rule will be like, you know, chaotic neutral or above for alignment for D&D. Right. Um, because it is really hard to have like a lawful good paladin with a chaotic evil necromancer in the same party without one of them murdering the other one. Right. Yeah, I've had people do that with clans for vampire. Like, yeah. Uh, well, I it's, was. Go- it's, it's 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 really really easy. Clans it's- are a really interesting one actually mm-hmm. uh, because players so strongly identify with with clans or have some players mm-hmm. do, I should say, and part of the reason for that is because. Despite there being some clans and bloodlines that historically weren't necessarily treated with as uh, much depth as others, I right. think it's fair to say um, the the big the big core clans and the Sabat clans, let's say, uh, had sufficient depth and flavor that if a player really loved vampire and mm-hmm. really wanted to play a Zimishi, for instance, uh, that character played as, the play- per the player's expectation, is not going to get on in a coterie with a camera of Ventru. Mm-hmm. And so you will have storytellers that say only the big seven clans, or only right. only the Camarilla clans, or yeah. words to that effect. And like sometimes you can get around it by being like an anti-trib or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is like... I've had lots of vampire games that were like cam only or anarch only, and they'll still look like you, you can play a Camarilla anarch if you want, that Camarilla, uh, like Toreador anarch if you want to, okay. and use the Toreador powers, but be an anarch. Um, and same with like, like I played a lot of La Sombra anti tribs until 5th edition mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I really like La Sombras, but I didn't want to play Sabat games necessarily. Yeah, uh, so I played a lot of Lasombra anti tribs. Well, I, I've received some criticism from fans, and I don't care for this criticism. I'll be honest, uh, but I've definitely heard it that I am guilty of homogenizing the five by doing things like adding the Lasombra to the Camarilla, by making the Hecata a broader clan and uh, putting the Ministry in the Anarchs, and so on and so forth. Because a lot of people know that I did the clan work up until the Companion, that I am somehow responsible for this. And I am Mm -hmm. responsible for it, but I don't see it as homogenization. I see it as making clans more accessible and appealing. Obviously, I've got a certain vision in mind when I do these things, and it isn't to make things bland. On the contrary, it's to make things more playable. And I think that's one of the reasons I really, <laughs> I really love uh, V five from a concept perspective, that it allows people who have been long term fans of the game, who have always wanted to play a mem- a vampire with the surname Giovanni in an Anarch Chronicle, they can now do so because mm-hmm. there are reasons for them 
to be there in the meta plot. So your decision is backed up by the game's content. Whereas historically, and I think it was also part of the appeal of Vampire historically, those walls between sects and independent clans and clan histories and so on, it gave strong definition to the clans, but it also acted as barriers that meant that you had loads of people, including me, actually, who wanted for a long time to play I don't know, Giovanni or Harbingers of Skulls or a Cappadocian mm-hmm. or whatever, but were never able to right. because yeah. the the storyteller's vision so closely matched the game as written, and therefore my character would have been a sore thumb if I was playing him as true to the Giovanni experience that was on paper. Yeah, I right. mean, uh, uh, something I, I have argued about Vampire the Masquerade specifically for a while is that um, the only mode of play where you can play all 13 clans is Sabbat. Every other mode of play for Vampire Masquerade means you have to take a subsection of the available options and reduce them. Because the Anarchs don't have some of the Sabbat clans, the Camera only has seven clans, um, and it's something that's a weird blend of setting and playstyle. Right? It's not bad, mm-hmm. but it's, it's 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 distinctive. It's a component. I've also never understood why the Anarchs wouldn't let everybody in that wanted to be an Anarch. Right, because I, I, I understand the kind of evolution of it, but, but yeah. you're right. It, it, it's kind of a weird thing, like because of the anti-tribute tribute divide, if you want to play any clan at all, the Sabbat is actually the gameplay to do it. And of course, that's the one option that we don't offer. So V5 <laughs> naturally has to accommodate that because otherwise you run into this legacy reason of, well, why can't I play this cool Zemisi concept in a Camelot game? Well, because 25 years ago, someone said you couldn't. Kind of <laughs> right. But what's interesting is that I have never seen the logical counterpoint to this played very often um, which is everyone's playing members of one clan uh, I've ran one game like that and people had a blast but the whole time people were like is this a thing we can do <laughs> like, well, why not why can't everyone just play the same clan the same blood to play the same family yeah I feel like in most games there is that desire to be like special on some mm-hmm. level so when you start talking about making characters almost everybody is like oh well if you're playing this I can't play that and they just kind of like Everyone mm. slots off into their own little thing. Right, because um, a lot of people look at clans like classes. Yeah, yeah, right, there's yeah, an yeah. illusion of balance. That Oh, well, you've got a vampire with a mental domination power, so I'd better take the guy that can punch things hard. Right, but again, one thing I realized when I did a one-clan game is that there are three disciplines. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And with like some of the ways powers work in, in V5 specifically, you could really make them different, in my opinion, mm-hmm. which is very cool. Yeah. Um. But, like, I, I, I notice that with a lot of games, because, like, sometimes you just don't want to have two characters that have the same skill, the same skill set, because then they're stepping on each other mm. sometimes. Um, not, not like, fighters for the most part, but, like, in our recent Trinity game, for instance, mm-hmm. we had, um, which isn't out yet, so I'll, you can hear it eventually. Yes. But <laughs> a person came in to, to make a character, and they, and they pretty much made the same character I was planning to port over. <laughs> And I was like, we don't need, like, if, if we're both experts on this thing and we're both super tech geeks and we're both this, we're just going to be cooperating on all of our roles or competing on all of our roles. Yeah. Or one of us is always going to be taking the spotlight. We're going to have to mix and match because, like, if you give us a computer problem to solve, then we're going to both want to solve it. And right. that's great sometimes. Like, I'm all about cooperative roles and I'm all about helping people. But I, th- I, I, I do think it's nice when each character has a strength. Right, but similarly, um, you mentioned Trinity. Uh, every time I run Trinity, I've always had the requirement of everyone's plays the same allegiance. Right. Um, 
usually I leave it up to, sometimes I say we're playing this legion. Sometimes I say, I don't care what legions we use, but we have to pick one and stick with it. Um, because that's a social kind of combined, because inside of that allegiance, you just a lot of breadth, but also Trinity is specifically self-designed to each, each allegiance is, is really kind of a subgenre of the game it's emulating. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll take Aberrant, for example, it's like, if you are playing team tomorrow, um, you know, that's a very, I'm playing a superhero game. We're playing Terrigen. Um, it's much more that kind of muddy X-Men, we're not really heroes, not really villains kind of space. And if you're playing the directive, then you're playing much more um, Gotham Central, where it's like you're just humans trying to live in a world where all these superheroes exist. Right. Um, and so you can kind of re-slice it that way. But again, when we're talking about bringing characters in and making them connect to the games you're running, understanding to at least a little bit what you're trying to do when you make these constraints, because constraints are good, I feel. But if you understand why you're constraining and what that's going to add or subtract from your game, you know, then you can make decisions. Like if you just do a vampire game where it's like you can play whatever clan you want to, but then everyone's in a Camarilla City. Anyone who picked the six clans aren't Camarilla clans are kind of screwed. They're, 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 gonna, they're not going to be able to go to the court. They're not going to be able to get involved in the political intrigue because they're going to be on the outside. And because they didn't know that's where this was going, they're going to feel marginalized. Where if you say, okay, cool, we're making a Camarilla game, heavy politics. So you probably want to pick clans that can show up at court and do stuff. Mm -hmm. Keep your constraints there. Or, but then also, if someone like you, Dixie, says, I don't mind if I'm a little out of this because I do want to play this separate cool concept, then that becomes a conversation and negotiation with those constraints. Mm -hmm. Although I will say I have enjoyed it more in B5 where like – because we, we we are going by the canon set down by Chicago by Night. Right, where those um, armies are joined or are in the right. process of joining. Right. Um, but my my character is interesting because, of course, she is. Cause she's my character. Um, <laughs> her her sire wasn't anti-trip. Um, he's, like, he's a canon character from some of the other source books. So, like, her sire wasn't anti-trip. So she's like, I've been here. Um, mm. So when, like, Sierra is trying to, like, make me go talk to her, I'm like, no, I've been here. For a long time, you're the new one, mm. um, which is really fun to play yeah. because I'm like, there's the Kimberly vampires in Chicago who are like not super trusting of me because I'm a Lasombra. And then there's me going like, I've, I've been here, though. Like, right. do, do, do you know who my sire is? Kind of thing, <laughs> you know, um, especially because she is the one who has spent like 100 years in Torpor. So she was around the court in like the late 1800s mm -hmm. and she's like she's like no 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 i friends with prince anne like what are you doing like mm -hmm. you know um which is which is it that's it's, it's it's a fun story hook honestly it, it's a fun character hook um that every time that sierra uh tries to get a hold of me i'm like no like she can come to me i'm not going to her um even though she is a much higher generation uh, so yeah, no, it's, 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 it's interesting how you can kind of play with that and play with the different kinds of canon and what stories come out of it. And mm. also when you don't really even know what you're going to do, because I is the first time our storyteller sent like a messenger from her to our house to be like, Hey, you know, she requested, like, she requests you accompany me to her. And I just like thought about it for a second. And I was like, no, yeah. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and then I, I like thought about it more and I'm like yeah this is how my character would feel and got really into that and I think that that is a sign of how well my storyteller was playing it off but also how much like I got invested in that character because of all the different little hooks we put in yeah 
Yeah, I've uh, I've got a couple of examples of where I've had to change things based on on the characters in play, and they're both quite recent. Oh yeah, I've been there. Oh, interesting. Where uh, I was I was all ready to run a they came from beneath a one shot recently. A, a group got in touch with me via my website matthewdawkins.com and said they wanted <laughs> to uh, <laughs> and they said they wanted to give they came from beneath the sea a go uh, they had bought one of them had bought the book and they weren't confident in running it and so they put a bit of money on my patreon patreon.com slash matthew dawkins and they asked me to run it for them and so i did now the first thing we went through of course was character creation and so I, I usually have a fairly a, a fair set menu in place for a beneath the sea one shot. It usually involves the coast. <laughs> it usually involves an alien invasion. It usually involves humans who aren't what they appear to be, whether they are working on a secret government project or they're crabs in disguise or whatever. There, there's a formula I like to follow because you know it's it's a good way of getting familiar with the game. Mm-hmm. And one of the players. One of the first things they said was, well, as we started character creation, I really want to be the captain of a submarine. What wow. um, what archetype would suit me? And at that point, I started thinking, okay, all right, submarine. I wasn't thinking of submarines. That's mm-hmm. going a little away from the coast now for most <laughs> most vessels. Um, yeah, yeah. Unless it's a bad submarine. Then yeah, <laughs> yeah, just bobbing around on the beach. And <laughs> he's a very bad submarine captain. And uh, then another player said, oh, can we all be the crew of a submarine? <laughs> and so I thought, yeah, I thought, well, shall we just do Das Boot on shore leave? <laughs> Or shall we actually do um, the an adventure that is now taking place on board a submarine? That's boot summer uh, vacation, <laughs> the holiday special, and um, and so obviously I switched the game track for what the players were going for. They clearly wanted to have this. Uh, deep sea experience where they were all the crew of a submarine, which I ended up calling Hunt for the Red Lobster. <laughs> and and uh, it became a game that was a cross, uh, a cross between paranoia. It was a bit of Cold War paranoia, and um, they were all, of course, on the submarine, and they detected some strange, uh, th- some oddities on the radar, which, of course, turned out to be the tentacles of Santibus or something like that. And mm-hmm. then a lobster got managed to climb in through one of the uh, torpedo tubes. Now. Th- the reason I mention this is because as a director, story guide, guide, storyteller, what have you, mm-hmm. it's, it is incredibly valuable to listen to your players. As Dixie was saying, it's, uh, if the players are really invested in a character and they want to play in a certain way, then as long as it is also entertaining to you as the person running the session, then adjust there is nothing that requires you to stick to what's on the page beyond of course your time and energy and ability to create uh which may it does sound like a lot it can be a lot but at the same time 
if you're listening closely to your players when they're throwing all these ideas out there about what might be fun and what they want to do, and this is why we have spaces on character sheets for aspirations and ambition is a path yeah. in a lot of uh, story path games, you can immediately start threading those into your plots. And it, it was a wonderful game, I would love to report, the, and I will report that, because in the end the submarine was sinking and the only way that they would survive was if they allowed the whale lobster to bite them and they all became whale lobsters as well. And That's swam amazing. To the surface. Oh my God. So they had to accept the curse of the whale lobster and then fall on the mercies of the uh, CIA or whatever body it was to find a cure for whale lobsterism. Crustacea <laughs> um, therapy, I suppose. Um, oh my God. That's amazing. Uh, but the other example, uh, was, and this is one that I had to change in-game mm-hmm. because a player left, was I've been running a game of Eclipse Phase, as the two of you know. I've posted about mm-hmm. it on one of our communal discords recently. And uh, I had four players in this game. One is very much a bruiser type, criminal background. Another two are hyper socialite glitterati types. One very much art-based, as well as being a scientist professionally, very interested in things like the opera and plays the violin, while the other is very much a dilettante and just likes rubbing shoulders with other hyper elites. And then we had a uh, nanite, uh, essentially a sentient nanite swarm, of a kind, an AI, mm. uh, which you can play an infomorph. Sorry, uh, that was the word I was looking for. Most nanite swarms are things you want to avoid in Eclipse Phase. Mm. And the game was set up that they uh, were due to, of course, use all of their skills, uh, their egos <coughs> skills, to solve a mystery. And suddenly, the player playing the AI has to leave the game at short notice, and no hard feelings there. This happens sometimes. No reflection Mm -hmm. in the game. But all of a sudden, a big third of my game, quite frankly, because I imagine the socialites moving around largely in each other's orbit, uh, was chopped away. The story that would have required some interfacing with with VR and with uh, high technology and so on, could no longer really play a factor because now we are left with a bruiser and two socialites. And mm. I didn't want to just stop the game and rewrite anything. But as a story, but as a storyteller, as a GM, I then had to think of, well, okay, so how can the existing story still function and appeal to the characters without making them feel useless? So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to explain exactly how that was done because uh, this game is still in progress and I believe some of the players even listen to the show. But <laughs> the, the challenge, uh, yeah, be gone, the, the challenge <laughs> to me and that a lot of GMs face when you have players drop is it can shake the confidence of the other players. And it can shake your confidence too. Again, not necessarily because they're leaving as a reflection on the game, but because they identified in that person a, um, a, a essentially they are a plate in the armor of the party. Mm-hmm. Goes back to what you were saying, uh, Eddie and Dixie, about party balance, about uh, balance of disciplines and vampire and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, suddenly, if you lose one of those, your options are restricted. Unless, as the GM, you start 
again, improvising a little, you start thinking, okay, so what clues could have been found on a computer that could mm-hmm. now be in the head of a hard-to-reach uh, head of a hypercorp that you could right. schmooze your way up to? Or rather than it being locked away in some virtual reality space inhabited by disembodied egos, now it is literally in a highly guarded safe uh, somewhere on a lunar base. So now the bruiser has something that he can crack into. Um, so mm. you can you you obviously have to fiddle around with these things a lot to keep the players engaged. But it is vital that you do that as a GM. You have to be flexible because if you do just stick to the line throughout, you will end up disenfranchising some people more often than not. Yeah, I think I think the other thing to t- talk about a little bit is um, players. Sometimes you find that the ga- that the character you've made is just not what you want to be playing anymore. Yeah, yep. definitely. And it's really like most most GMs, pretty much all GMs should let you change your character or bring in a new character or whatever to make it more fun. Um, I have a recent example of this, not not for myself, but from my my boyfriend. He's, he's been playing an ongoing Star Wars game. Um, speaking of the Star Wars RPG, he's actually been playing an ongoing Star Wars game. <laughs> Our favorite um, RPG. Clearly. I like played. Star Wars. That's Pathcasters. I worked on it anyway. Did. Um, so he has, he rolled up a little like astromech droid who is also an assassin droid named BT. Nice. Um, but of course, because he's playing an astromech droid, all of his dialogue is BT beeps sadly. Mm. Um, <laughs> and he got to a point recently where he was like, I don't want to play BT anymore. And I was like, why don't you keep him an assassin droid, but make him like the one from the Mandalorian or whatever, like make him an actual walking, talking one. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, easy solution um because now you can participate in conversations and have a personality besides bt beeps angrily um (laughs) and i mean i do think it's funny on some level to be like sad beep shoot guy uh (laughs) but like that does get boring after a while like that's not a fun character to play for a long time um, i thought sad beep shoot guy was the best album of the discography (laughs) (laughs) but either way so yeah so um if you're playing a character and it's just like not driving with the group or you're like, oh, I thought this was going to be really cool, but now it's it's not as cool. Um, talk to your gym. I was playing uh, uh, D&D a while back and I had made a ranger because I, I I do like rangers. And I made this, this, this little ranger and I was getting bored because at lower levels, pretty much I had one thing I could do and it was I shoot an arrow in all of our combats, right? Um, just because of the way that I had rolled up my character. I thought it would be more interesting. It wasn't. Uh, so my uh, DM let me go to some of the Unearthed Arcana and make a different kind of ranger. Mm. And I had so much more fun as a Beastmaster ranger where I was like, I shoot it and I send my tiny flying snake pet after it. And the tiny flying snake bites them and it's ha ha ha. And like, that was, that was more fun for me because I, I had more balls in the air, you know? Right. As, as opposed to like, I shoot the goblin. Every Again. single turn. <laughs> I shoot uh, the goblin. Uh, I've, I've had that problem when it, sometimes I'm attracted to the idea of playing primarily physical characters mm-hmm. uh, for a change of pace, I guess. And then I find m- the experience lacking for my tastes. I, I, uh, I like playing them more in one shots, personally. Mm. Uh, I have I have found that if I'm going to play a, a, a purely fighty character, a purely physical character, which I am talking about doing for an upcoming Exalted Essence game um, that I'm, I'm playing privately 
which which would be very cool. But um, I love them in one shots because you can just be like the big brash person running around and punching people. Mm-hmm. And also you get to run headlong into danger constantly, which if you're doing like a four hour, especially like, like a streamed one shot, you don't want that lull of like, what do we do now? So you can be the person who's like, I kick open the door that might have an alien behind it. I don't know. I'm going to punch it. Oh, I I completely agree. I uh, well, as you know, I like to die by the second or third hour at most of a one mm-hmm. shot at a convention. Yes, yeah, so you can go take a break. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dreadful dreadful player, and so playing a primarily physical character allows me to do that because I can uh, guiltlessly <laughs> run into battle and die and say, "Well, I had fun," and mm-hmm. then leave the table. Uh, I guess a polite player would stick around and watch everyone else play, but I'm not that polite. But I, fa- <laughs> I actually found, and I can't believe it took me this long to cotton on to how to do this, uh, how to play a physical character uh, in a role-playing game uh, if you are a primarily social player, mm. is hirelings and ghouls or whatever your game happens to be. I was playing a Scarred Lands game not long ago, and I just decided I would play a big hulking fighter type, dragging a sword behind him and occasionally swinging it over his shoulder. And he was mm-hmm. my protagonist, and he did have goals and dreams. He just wasn't very communicative about them. And he was also absolutely laden down with coin because of how effective he was as a killing machine. Mm-hmm. And so I did what you can do in D&D and Pathfinder, and I just hired a companion, a hireling. Mm-hmm. But rather than that hireling being used to carry my bags or book reservations at the local inn, <laughs> I had them as my character's mouthpiece. They would sometimes be sitting on my character's shoulders, or mm. they would uh, or they would just be always walking out in front with a scroll that they would unfurl and say, here approaches the champion, and I would recite off my name and my deeds and it allowed me to play a character who thankfully could also be killed off and easily replaced so all of these people were uh, poor bastards who just got gold in their eyes you know they thought wow this is a high paying job not realizing that they're also likely to be the person first run through by the uh, hornsaw unicorn uh, that's charging towards us. Um, but while the hireling is being used as a sacrificial lamb, my actual character is hefting his mighty sword. So I think you can do the same thing in Vampire with your ghouls. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you don't have... It's And it's, um, <laughs> especially in LARPs, a challenge, I think, to play physical characters. Um, but it, at the tabletop, at least... You, you don't have to feel punished for that uh, if you use your background points uh, smartly and start investing in things like retainers and allies who you can mm-hmm. also play as uh, if you just speak to your storyteller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember that's, that's I, played funny, a, I, like um, I, I played a fourth, fourth edition D&D game, um, which I will, to the end of time, uh, defend fourth edition D&D. But... There are no guilty pleasures. I, I know, right? We're back to that again. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I was playing a half elf rogue, and um, Mike, uh, we were playing in a kind of a Italian Renaissance inspired game, so lots of like swashbuckling and, and daring do. Uh, and uh, my character was kind of a jerk, and that was one thing I was I was running into is like 
everyone had like shades of gray, but my character was starting to rub the rest of the group. Uh, I, I was a bit on the outside of that. And I was like, my first instinct was, okay, I'll just walk that in. He'll come to some catharsis or, or some kind of revelatory moment and become a better person. I mean, it's, it's I was planning to do that arc. Uh, but then, uh, in the middle of an adventure, um, the game master actually we went up against a bunch of bandits, and I was like, "Oh, here's where I could do that arc." Um, so instead of killing all the bandits, I actually rescued one, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, "Okay, we won't kill you. You work for me now." And my intention was, "I'll treat this guy well, um, adventure to, and then he'll go on his way." But then that will be the arc to get me closer to the morality of the rest of the group. Um, I kept that character for three years in real time um, because, <laughs> because he was so bad at his job um, because he was a bandit. He didn't know anything about going to courtly intrigues or uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, being involved in espionage missions. He didn't know any of that stuff. And so, uh, he was like, he was just so happy to not be dead and <laughs> trying his best and failing miserably at it. Uh, that it became an ongoing joke. Cause I, I kept trying. It's like, why do you keep this guy around? He's so bad. It's like, but, but I feel bad for him. And so like it, it helped me to really put that in position, but then also gave me something to bounce off of that none of the player characters were quite providing. So I'm with you that NPCs can also be a way to kind of help center a character um, by, by providing an external motivation to kind of nudge them closer to where they need to be. Yeah, um, that actually, so my my character that I talked about before on here, Jane Giantsbane, the aforementioned oh, Beast, Beastmaster Ranger. Um, she learned morality via botched roles which was very funny um Mm. she was like a chaotic good halfling ranger who was raised by dwarves uh the first time we encountered some goblins we were doing the like minds of fandelver whatever it's called like really early module Mm -hmm. um we encountered some goblins and i trapped them in a pit and i tried to kill them with my arrow and i Mm. kept missing and they were talking to me the whole time. And I was like, but you're evil. You're goblins. And they're like, no, no, no. We can, we can not be evil. And then I convinced them to not be evil. <laughs> and then they worked for me. Um, and then later on, I rescued an- another goblin who also worked for me. And they were my friends. And they carried my shit. And they uh, held lights if we were in a dark room to battle. And they were incredibly useful. And I learned that not all goblins are evil. And that, you know, Essentially, Jane learned about racial bias um, <laughs> via via not being able to kill a goblin in the first act. Um, <laughs> my my DM hated me because both the goblins had very distinct voices. Um, <laughs> one of them sounded like a uh, angry New Yorker ordering bagels, um, <laughs> and the other one sounded like a stereotypical British chimney sweep. Oh, um, cool, blimey! Oh, no. Yeah, very well, well, like like very young, like you know. Oh, hey, do Mary Poppins, ma'am. <laughs> I was thinking more Oliver, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like um, me to come up and brush your chimney? No, it sounds vaguely like an innuendo. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. So my my DM hated that they both became part of the group, but I liked them both. One of them was uh, in service to an actual evil character, like an actual bad guy doing bad things. Um, and then one time we killed a necromancer and then found out that he had like a wife and eight kids he was supporting, but all of us were like, but with necromancy, <laughs> like, <laughs> don't but, do I mean, that. We'll like but, send all his gold back to his wife. <laughs> 
I'm just saying, like, in this economy, you take whatever job you can get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, it was, it's, it's, it's always interesting to figure out the morality of your party. I see a lot of stories about this, um, even on, like, TikTok and stuff, with people teaching D&D to their kids for the first time. Mm. And being like, oh, no, I have raised murder hobos. Yes. Like, I... I sent them on this quest that I thought was going to be pretty chill and they have killed everything that they have found. And it's like, oh no. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> that is no, not when, what I when expected from this party. For teenagers, teenagers are by far the most bloodthirsty characters. Yeah, yeah I can uh, see that. Um, but I think it's uh, the it's the thing we've spoken about a few times before about our relationship with horror. Uh, it's when you are at that age, uh, especially teenagers, early 20s, it's almost like your empathy hasn't developed to the yeah. extent that you can truly relate to why it's horrific. All you know is it's violent, it's cool, it's bloody, and you don't feel bad afterwards that you've you've killed a character because you don't relate to them as anything more than a voice or yeah. what's written on a page. Mm -hmm. um, it's only as you get older, I suppose, that you really start uh, appreciating that kind of thing. But you know what? We, we've spoken at quite some length now about how to hook your players, and I think that's what's go going to end up as the title for this episode in retrospect. Yay. That's okay. Yeah. We um, haven't announced this one yet, so we can title it whatever we want. Yeah. We can in title it Boogaloo Badoo. Boogaloo Badoo. <laughs> how to hook your players Boogaloo Badoo is now the title. Coo-coo-coo-coo-joob. That, that uh, album was not as good as Sad Beep Shoot Guy, I'm just saying. Sad Beep Shoot Guy. <laughs> I think he's in the expanded universe as an assassin <laughs> droid. Yeah, he's in Tales from Palpatine's Tree of Sadness or something. <laughs> um, Palpatine's Treehouse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, everyone was a child at once, so we don't Except know. Except for what... the clones in the Clone Wars. Fair enough, or indeed droids. <laughs> Right. They didn't, well, I guess they start off as a microchip and they grow around that, don't they? But apparently Yodas are babies for over 50 years. That's true, that's true. Uh, so I think we're going to wrap up now and I'm going to ask Eddie, if a chimney sweep is knocking on your door with the intention of cleaning your flu, where oh, would he have to look for you? Um, You can find... <laughs> I was trying not to take that bad, but I just can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> um, that should be a private conversation, not on this podcast. He doesn't. Flu, governor. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so no, I'm not giving you my physical address, but if you want to clean my virtual chimney, I guess. <laughs> uh, That's somehow worse. <laughs> I told you I was trying to avoid it. I just, I just leaned into it. I couldn't help you, it. You you broke Matthew. <laughs> um. Pugstudy.com. There you go. Pugstudy.com, the place to go to, to clean Eddie's virtual, virtual, chimney, virtual chimney. Yes. yes. Um, he needs it. And <laughs> <laughs> now, oh, Dixie. Yes. If uh, <laughs> if someone wants to polish your bed knobs and broomsticks. <laughs> I quit. Where, I'm leaving. I'm <laughs> where should they find you? No one should want that. Um, that's very creepy. Please don't it's do that. Is Bedknobs and Broomsticks the one with the child catcher? I think I it is, isn't it? I think so. It's the one with the magic bed. Well, I would. I, I, that's self-evident, almost. Written by Ian Fleming. 
It is by Ian Fleming. I forgot about it's, that. That's why there's uh, people of uh, dubious. Actually, you know what? No, no. I, anyway, I always uh, get bed knobs and broomsticks and uh, chitty bang bang mixed up. Yes, there is, like, the chitty various... chitty bang bang is the one with the uh, child catcher. Child catcher. Yes. Right. Yeah, I like. I always get like the little scenarios mixed up. Like I, I can remember that chitty chitty bang bang has the car. And Bed of Brimsticks has the bed. And past yeah. that, I'm like, something happens in these movies? Maybe they're in the same expanded universe. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Bed Knobs and Brimsticks? Right, yeah. It's just, there's an entire like category of like possessed flying furniture and accoutrements. Well, like, if you want out. to talk to me <laughs> about possessed flying furniture and accoutrements, uh, <laughs> you can do so at Dixie Cyanide on most social media or in the discords. I always love it when people listen to the podcast and then are commenting on it, like, on Friday afternoon. That's one of my favorite mm-hmm. things, um, is to see people going, like, oh, my God, I just heard the ending, or, ah, this joke is really funny, or, you know, oh, I agree with you on this thing. Um, no <laughs> yeah, criti- no criticism, please. No criticism. Just, no, just no. praise. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're too fragile. But, no, I love that. And, yeah, please, please come hang out in the Discord. Talk to us. We like it. And if you want to take me for a chitty chitty bang bang, you can find me on MatthewDawkins.com. I'm so mad right now. <laughs> it was that or Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, and I'm also on the Onyx Path Discord uh, as Dawkins. Uh, I'm not as on Dawkins MP. That's Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Dawkins MP. Uh, I've flustered myself. And I'm on Discord as Matthew Dawkins. You can find all of us on theonyxpath.com. Do tune in for our Monday meeting blog uh, each week because we will keep you updated on upcoming releases and basically how we move along everything on the schedule. And there's always some useful, interesting tidbits of information on every single blog we post, I like to think. So with all that said, thank you for listening. Many worlds, one pathcast.